HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Restaurants across the country are in need of support as a result of the devastating effects COVID-19 is having on this industry. If we don't help now, some of our favorite community gathering spaces may not be there when this crisis is over. Restaurant Opportunities Center United has compiled a list of local resources supporting the restaurant industry from cities and states across the country. From North Carolina's Triangle Area Restaurant Workers Resources to Nebraska's COVID-19 Response Fund, Minnesota's Immigrant Family Fund, Georgia's Giving Kitchen, and many, many more, we can all find a cause to support. Visit rockunited.org relief. That's rocunited.org relief to find a list of national, state, and local resources. Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection of food and grief with your hosts, Zara Tangora and Bobby Conforto. Uh, how's it going, guys? Uh, is everybody hanging in there, maintaining some sanity, getting to do a couple of nice things for yourselves a week? Um, maybe you're having an okay time, um, and I think that's why we decided to do today's show. So today's show is a catch-up show with a bunch of former guests of Processing, and we wanted to kind of check in with everyone to see how they're dealing with everything that's happening in the world due to this global crisis, uh, or crises, as there are many different facets to the, the crises that are happening. Crises? Crises? Not sure. Doesn't matter. Um, so anyway, everyone that came on really had um, a very kind of different take, different experience with it, um, and we found it really interesting to kind of get all those different um look through all those different lenses. Uh, I think it's a very unique experience for a lot of people, and a lot of it, as we discussed with some people, really depends on, um, you know, your position financially, um, where you are in the world, how you're being able to be supported by the government or unsupported. Uh, are you working? Are you not working? Are you being triggered by past Grief, it's multifaceted, um, and we really get into it, and it's actually, we had so many interesting conversations. We talked to about half the guests that we've had on the show, and then we plan to, next week, um, chat with the other half of our guests to get their take on everything. Um, so we hope that you're all hanging in there and uh, getting whatever you possibly can get out of this experience, and I hope, you know, I, I mentioned the other day um, to someone, it's about 
it's about the little wins sometimes. You know what I mean? I think it's a lot to ask of ourselves to thrive during this time. And if you are thriving, that's, that's excellent. Um, and props to you. Um, but it's just a hard time. And I think that the best we can really expect from ourselves at this point is the little moments of joy, the tiny rituals that you've maybe had to adapt to with not leaving the house or whatever it may be that, um, you kind of look forward to. Like for me, one of the small things is just, I never really made coffee before. I was just, I don't know why it's, my friends always make fun of me for it, but, um, I never made coffee at home and, uh, I always drink coffee. I just usually get it out. It's part of my routine. And so I started making coffee and like, even on the days when I feel really depressed, I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the process of making coffee. And that's a small thing, but it makes me feel lucky to have a home to make coffee in. It just feels good. It's a nice little brain break. And then I have coffee at the end, which is a treat and I'm drinking some right now. So we hope you enjoy our, uh, catch up talks with all our wonderful, beautiful guests. And thank you everyone who participated for your time. Um, it was really a wonderful day of chats and we are so lucky. Um, okay guys, everybody hang in there and please reach out to processing at heritage radio network.org. Uh, if you want to share a story, if you'd like to be a guest on an upcoming episode, if you need some emotional support or you need to help find, help find some resources during this time, uh, we're here for you. Okay. Thanks. Bye. guys so we are in the new normal of uh podcasting from home and we are joined by a variety of our past guests today starting with the wonderful dana cowan dana how are you and where are you i am um sitting in upstate new york with a view of a wet dank field (laughs) but between the branches with buds of spring, I can see daffodils. And I feel like that's such a nice metaphor for where we are. It's very gray. It's quite cold. But really between these dark branches, there are these yellow hints of yellow. Mm, Sunshine. It's beautiful. I've actually been thinking that myself. I'm in the city uh, in Brooklyn and I've been going out for early morning runs and I'm just noticing even on these gray days and these like weird dark times, like seeing the flowers budding is this really important reminder from nature that things are still growing and happening. And like, it's the one thing that's making me feel kind of really happy that like it's happening at this time, even though this is a weird time for it to happen because we're all ready to be outside and be enjoying spring. But I think about if this had been happening in the dead of January I don't know. There's something about the springtime that makes it feel hopeful too. But you know, there's a concept in psychology called the sterile void and the fertile void. So what we you're talking about, Dana, is the fertile void. Even though there is a void out here, there's still so much fertility and potentiality for growth and hopefully, you know, happiness and recovery. I, I love that idea. Um, Will Gadara's father, Will Gadara, um, 
was at 11 Madison Park. He's a real leader in this industry. He runs something called the Welcome Conference. Sorry, this industry being um, the hospitality industry. His father said, adversity is a terrible thing to waste. And I love that. I love that idea um, that the toughest times, there's always something wonderful you can make of them. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. That's me. So speaking of what you're making in the toughest times, what kind of um, things are you either making to eat? Can you not eat? Like how is food playing into this? Just in terms of the food you're consuming and making or not consuming, what's, what's that been like for you? Well, I, you know, I was the editor of Food and Wine for more than 20 years. And during that time, I cooked very little. And whenever I cooked, I, I always did something wrong. Um, I, you know, I burned the bottom of the pot if I was making rice or I oversalted the chicken or I used a cast iron pan and acid and made everything taste like iron. Uh, so I going into this, I'm like, oh, you know, cooking all the time. This is going to be such a burden. But in fact, there is something about quarantine cooking that has completely released me. Uh. And yesterday I made banana bread and it was perfect. And I'm not saying this like, you know, as a general bragger, I'm saying it as someone who usually is criticizing the way things have come out. Um, but I made perfect banana bread. And so I've found some freedom in the cooking and making every night, uh, you know, I mean, I, I did that massive shop as everybody has. So I've got lots of, you know, beans and greens and, um, try to get some fresh vegetables when I can. Uh, and so I don't know, I've, I found every night I'm trying to cook a different, uh, from a different culture, a different part of the world, knowing that we're all in this together. I, there were a million, you know, as of today, there are a million reported cases of COVID-19, which horrific number. We are literally all in this together. And each night I remind the family of exactly that through the food. Last night was couscous. Um, tonight, I think it'll be Southern barbecue. Yum. That's amazing. I, you know, I feel similarly to you. I mean, I, I think that there's a belief that people in food, whether whatever part of the food world they're in, spend all their time cooking fabulous meals at home. And that is untrue for a variety of reasons very often. Um, and for me, I totally really never cook for myself at home. And so this has been like a really, I don't know, an experience. I feel very fortunate in the sense, an experience of like being able to do some self care and dig into something that I really love because normally all my output and creativity for cooking goes outward to others. And so this has been a time where I've kind of been able to do that for myself and it feels really, really nice. And I feel really lucky. I I found myself really trying to count my blessings during this thing. Um, And that's one of the ways in which I feel really blessed is just the opportunity to like cook food at home. That's so nice to hear, Zara, as your mom. Yeah. Um, that, that you're taking care of yourself that way. Yes. Um, I know you usually worry that I have an empty refrigerator, but fear not. I'm baking all kinds of things. What about you, Bobby? What are you making? Well, interestingly enough, I, I'm, it's very different for me. Um, I feel like it's scarcity cooking. And I realize how in the past I'm wasteful, you know, and that we have too much food in a way. So we're eating a lot less. Our food is going a lot further, but I did make my very, very favorite dish that reminds me of my childhood and my mother, and I made chicken strudel. 
and it has all the Eastern European kind of flavors. You know, it had um, sauteed carrots and leeks and celery and, and onions. And then you poach the chicken and then you make a wonderful mixture um, and put it in a strudel, phyllo pastry. And it lasted three nights with a salad. I mm. never, I never would do that before, but I, I've decided I think I'm going to make it every week because one chicken breast makes three meals or wow. two chicken breasts, two chicken breasts, I should say. That's so, amazing. yeah, so that's what I'm doing, a little bit different. Send some over to us. <laughs> Fat, I would like to. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to. Dana, I want to ask you, um, you are someone who is such an inspiration for, for so many reasons, but one thing that I always really uh, kind of admire about you is that you're constantly involved in a myriad of things, um, whether they be charitable uh, or for fun, or you're always promoting other people. And I think... One thing that I've noticed during this crisis is, especially via social media, which is something that we're all kind of tuned into more than ever because it's one way of staying connected. Um, I feel like there's a lot of folks that I'm seeing that are very, I don't know, for lack of a better term, like tone deaf to the situation. It's all about the I and like, what am I doing? What am I making? And then there's other folks on the other end of the spectrum really trying to raise awareness for what's going on and um, be philanthropic and charitable. And I feel like you're doing such an amazing job of towing the line in the middle of like reminding people that there's still joy and delicious things to cook and like nice things to take out of this and being extremely uh, visible in the charitable philanthropic kind of way. And I just also wanted to ask you a little bit about specifically a couple things that you are working on um, promoting charity wise, because I think it's super important to highlight uh, some of that stuff now. So can you tell us a little bit about some of the things you're working on? Sure. That's, um, first, thank you. That's so kind of you to say. I've been devoting a lot of time and energy to something called ROAR, uh, Relief Opportunities for All Restaurants. Uh, it's a New York State-focused relief and advocacy organization. It was the brainchild of Camilla Marcus um, when we all realized that there's so much work to be done. I mean, there's the federal bills, and that will have some effect on um, restaurants and their ability to come back. But on the state level, we need so much help. Um, New York has the highest density of restaurants, the highest density of people out of work. And, um, and that brings us to the second part of ROAR, which is we launched a relief fund yesterday. Uh, it was seeded with $500,000. Uh, and we're giving one-time first-come, first-serve cash grants of 500 bucks to each person who applies and qualifies. Mm-hmm. And we gave away $150,000 yesterday. Wow. The need is so great. And if you can imagine $500 once and we're spreading it across as many people as we can possibly serve or raise money for, uh, but there's... 20,000 people, you know, 100,000 people out of work who need our help. So it feels great to be, you know, advocating on behalf of people who have a hard time advocating for themselves. It feels great to bring together the New York state restaurant community as one voice. Uh, It also feels like there's just so much work to be done. In addition, there are other incredible organizations doing uh, great work yesterday. We gave a toast 
all at five o'clock to Jacques Pepin and the Jacques Pepin Foundation that supports community kitchens. The community kitchens around the country um, help train people in the culinary arts so that they have a job. Right now, no one in the culinary arts really has a job since the government has shut down restaurants. But coming out of this, just being able to cook for yourself, cook for others, and then get the jobs when they come back um, is really important. I'm so proud of everything that uh, that Jacques Pepin Foundation is doing and has done. Raleigh Wieson and Claudine Pepin um, sort of running the charge there. Mm-hmm. Um, the Independent Restaurant Coalition, which is a national organization that's related to uh, Roar, the work that they're doing on behalf of restaurants on the national scale is hugely important. Um, the Lee initiative, and I'll stop it at this one, but there are, there are so many and it's so uh, urgent and critical. The Lee initiative, which was organized by Ed Lee initially, um, the Lee initiative supported women and promoted women through internships and mentorships, uh, which They've done a fantastic job with that, but now they're focusing on creating uh, kitchens in restaurants to create hundreds, thousands of meals. Um, there's Rethink Food. Anyway, so and Lily Initiative is working with Rethink Food to create these meals to to give away. People need to eat. Bobby's are. Yes. They need to eat. And yes. the Safety net was thin before the crisis. The safety net is is frayed. I'm just concerned for all those who, you know, cannot say, "Hey, I made a great banana bread today." Yes, exactly. I, I completely agree, and that goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning of counting our blessings if we are in the position of being able to make food at home. And I, again, like I, I really admire you because you use your power for good and I can't uh possibly reinforce how much I think that's important right now if we are in a position where we are making banana bread you know what I mean to so to speak um we should be really using our power for good and you're an incredible example of that and you are you're always an advocate for people and uh you know I think if when we're lucky we need and we have yeah when we're lucky and we have gifts bestowed onto us and a, and a good life we need to give back and you're a great example of that and I really really respect that and I just encourage everyone to take your lead and uh, be charitable and be tuned in to other folks and uh, what they need and if you have more give back what you can if you can't give your money give your time if you can't give your time give a smile like give just try to wake up every day and give something back because there are so many people in need right now and particularly in the restaurant industry it's been decimated so i just really respect so much what you're doing and how hard you're fighting for people and also keeping a positive attitude for people and reminding them that there's still bits of joy in the day and in cooking and being with your family. And so I think that you're just doing a fantastic job and continuing to be such a great example of, uh, of a I leader am, in this industry. I'm going to add, add one thing because, you know, you could listen to however many minutes of this and be like, oh my gosh, it's like, it's so great. And there's banana bread and there's roar and life yeah. is good and such a great example. But I will also say that, you know, Parts of every day are, are really hard. Getting everybody in my family aligned and, and in a good mood and, right. you know, not sparring and not bringing up the, 
you know, childhood conflicts oh, to yes. older teenagers at home. I mean, that's also really important to accept that I can't, I mean, much as I try to change that, the situate that situation and the larger situation is, is bigger than me. And, uh, that makes me crazy. Um, But I also need to have some level of acceptance. So anyone who's like, I don't know, my day kind of sucked and everyone was fighting. And, you know, I did one thing like that's also, (laughs) you know what you did one thing and you tried and absolutely everyone together fighting like that just is going to have, is going to be how it is some days. Absolutely. You know what I've been, what I've been telling my clients, Dana, is that, um, in a way, our main purpose, our real purpose in life is to take care of ourselves because taking care of ourselves and our body, mind, and spirit is the way that we can be strong for everybody else. Yep. And, and also, I mean, I wonder, Bobby, what you think about this and apologies if it's going over time, but, um, you know, this notion of taking care of ourselves can seem selfish. If the point of taking care of ourselves is to be strong for others, then it can feel burdensome right like do we have to be there to take care of like does that have to be our but who's but who's the other ones you're talking about your kids and your husband that's who else or your animals or your neighbor that you talk to it doesn't have to be a large group of people we start small we start with our circle and then it spreads out you know this i think it was tick nahan that said that if one person is calm in a group then it helps everybody in the group Oh, I love that idea. Yeah. Um, I like ending on that thought. (laughs) It's so hard to be calm. There's so much turmoil inside each person and even all the good you can do every day and all the smiles you can share, there's still turmoil. But if you can share calm, that feels like a very powerful message. And if Mm -hmm. I could remind you from the mindful perspective that calm doesn't mean we're calm all the time. It means you remember to be calm. So when you fall off track, then you just remember and you pull yourself back again. Right. So it's not the standard that we have to be calm all the time. We just have to remember that that's what we want. That's our intention. I love that. Well, I love you guys, Dana. I see your face in front of me, your beautiful face. And I'm so glad you're upstate with your family. And it's nice to think of you there. Thanks. Good to to, uh, talk to you guys. It was Um, good to talk to you too, Dana. Thank you so much for joining us and for catching up and yeah, sending love. All right. All right. May we all all be safe, as safe as we can. Ciao. Okay. Bye. We're in it. Okay, cool. Hey, we're here with our... Dearest love bug, Laura Silverman. Um, you guys may remember Laura from her episode, Spaghetti Meatballs and Chocolate Cake. Um, Laura, where are you joining us from and how are you? Hi. Um, I'm joining you from Westport, Connecticut. And I'm fine. You know, I mean, I think you just keep everything in perspective right now. We all have our ups and downs for sure. But all things considered, um, we are totally fine. Good. Okay. So glad to hear that. What have you found to be the most um, kind of like personally challenging aspect of this whole experience for you guys? Um, I think it's just the paranoia that creeps in when you watch the news or read the paper. And then I have I have friends around me who are sick. And, 
you know, it, I, I think when that starts happening, you realize that just the gravity and reality, and it's not just something you're seeing on the news and you kind of feel it encroaching. Um, the town where we live, Westport, actually is kind of the hot spot in the state of Connecticut, oddly. Um, so there are there are a fair amount of cases here. So it, it feels pretty real. Like I'm, I'm pretty paranoid about leaving to go to the supermarket. Um, so I'm just really trying to stock up and stick close to home and hope the sun comes out so we can go play outside. Yeah. How's it been for your son? Your son is eight, right? No, he's he's five. He'll be six five. next week. Actually. I'm so sorry. I thought uh, that and then I thought just now when you were saying you said eight. But so how's it been for him? Like, and how is it as a parent kind of trying to to explain this to a young kid? You know, he, James is pretty, um, he's a pretty bright one who it, it doesn't work to kind of try to navigate around a big topic with him. So we've been pretty open and, and plus, I mean, he hears the news on in the morning and um, so I've tried to be as lighthearted about it as possible. Like he'll say, why can't we go to the beach? Why can't we go to the playground? Why can't I have a play date? And I'm like, because it's the Corona, no fun allowed with Corona. So mm. now that's like his tagline. He's like, no fun allowed because of Corona. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I, he hasn't voiced any concerns, which sometimes he will do, but I've definitely noticed um, he's more clingy than he normally is. Like he kind of wants to be with me all the time. Um, he doesn't want to be left alone in a room or I think he, mm-hmm. you know, just when he feels unsettled, it's definitely more like I want to speak to mom and dad yeah. and feel safe, um, which frankly is driving me a little bananas <laughs> because I <laughs> I'm someone who needs a little alone time and I'm getting zero alone time right now, which I think is really challenging. I'm sure for a lot of people to feel cooped up with people that they normally love, but you can sometimes be like by the end of the day. Yeah. Well, it's like a grass is greener thing. Like a lot of, um, a couple of my married friends and family members have been like to me because I live alone. Um, like, oh, it must be so hard to be alone. And like, you know, I've had moments of that for myself, feeling very lonely, even though I'm very used to being alone and comfortable with it. And I like it. But like, there have definitely been moments where I'm like, God, I wish I just had somebody else here to like rub my feet and enjoy this eggplant parm with and to cry with, you know, to be afraid with. And then, you know, I know a lot of folks that have partners and families that are, I mean, really appreciative and, and happy to have them, but also having some really real experiences, like emotionally being in that scenario with, you know, your loved ones, it can be hard. But like Lauren right. said it, it's possible that the fact that you're not getting any alone time is really the crucial thing. Is there any way that you can get more alone time? Is there anything you can figure out? Definitely. Like my husband and I definitely have been switching off with James. Like we both recognize when it gets a little intense that someone's got to kind of take over. Um, and I've been, I like to run a lot. So I've been going outside on days that the weather is nice and going for longer runs or if it's rainy, I'll find a quiet spot to do some yoga for an hour. Um, and then sometimes, I mean, then once we pop the kiddo in bed like we definitely will crack open a bottle of wine and have some adult time which I think is much the wine consumption has definitely increased over the past couple of weeks I can attest to that (laughs) so what are some what are some other ways that you're um, making the best of these times what kind of things are you cooking or eating or 
Well, I mean, I actually really thought about both of you and processing when this whole situation came, you know, really started heating up and you realize the, the moment that they announced that my son's school was closed, I got in the car and hauled off to the grocery store and <laughs> stocked up on fresh veggies and was like, okay, I'm just going to get in hunker down mode. And mm-hmm. it definitely has been the highlight of my day is cooking, especially supper. Lunch is kind of always just like a throw together meal, but, um, but I, I've almost treated it like a job. Like I, it's my new focus. Cause I think when your routine and your daily schedule gets so interrupted, then this is kind of my new schedule is planning around meals and looking and it's something to really look forward to. And I mean, I have been cooking like I've never I, cooked before. <laughs> Same. Me too. What kind of things have you been making? Um, so my go-to comfort food, I think we have already discovered, is pasta. And so I'm limiting only two nights a week can be pasta. <laughs> Otherwise, I would make it every day. If, if calories were not a thing I would, and carbs, I would make pasta every day. Um, so I've been trying to make like once one really special one or two special pastas a week. I made like a huge green lasagna one night that oh. I got out of a cookbook. Oh, it was so good. It was like tons of arugula and spinach and like a bechamel. It was actually very easy and delicious. Um, and then I've made lots of um, salsas to kind of add to different, you know, to kind of mix up like we have a ton of grains here. So I'm like, oh, how can I spice this up? Well, nice. I made a chipotle salsa. I made a salsa verde. Um, yeah. I've been baking that with James as kind of an afternoon something to do um, in lieu of science class. I'm like, oh, <laughs> baking powder. Look at what this will do. Well, I know that's really smart. That's great because baking really is science. <laughs> right. So there's been a lot of, you know, banana bread, chocolate chip cookies, nothing really revolutionary, but pretty some pretty delicious things have been coming out of our kitchen which is exciting well in a way it's your new purpose is to take care of your family and nourish them and and also it is something creative because i know you're a very creative person so it's a good creative outlet for you totally. well and i think it's kind of a way to stay connected with people so i'm usually not someone to take pictures of food and post them on instagram but since this is my new purpose in life <laughs> <laughs> I've been posting like in my Instagram stories, like what I've made that day. And so many friends have contacted me saying like people, you know, who don't really cook so much, but now they're home all the time are saying, will you please send me recipes? So I've put together a little weekly newsletter of recipes that I've been sending out to friends and it's kind of, I will, I'll send it to you. But it's been a good way to stay connected with people. It's kind of, you know, like a digital recipe sharing and photos. And I, it's kind of kept me motivated to keep cooking. It's like, oh, I want to make something good so I can share it with my friends. Oh, that's <laughs> great. I've been actually doing a newsletter, too, for my clients. Uh, every weekend I work on it and I send it out on Sundays. And it's really just um, I'm listening to everything they're saying during the week. And then I'm kind of thinking about the things that they're thinking about and worried about and then trying to address them in my oh. newsletter. That's a great idea. That's wonderful. And and I think so many people must be feeling so many of the same things. It's nice to be validated that you're not just home alone in your house going crazy. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. 
I have a question for you, Laura. Um, so given some of, you know, your experiences with trauma in the past, just to remind our listeners, you lost your parents when you were 13 years old and that's incredibly traumatic. And I'm just wondering how, if at all, uh, dealing with some of those past traumas and loss, like, did it inform your capacity to deal with this really kind of shocking traumatic experience um, and all this kind of globally experienced grief? Do you feel like that's, that's been a factor for you at all? I kind of thought about that the other day. I do a lot of my like deep thinking sometimes when I'm on long runs and I'm just alone and it's just the sound of my own breath (laughs) in my mind. And I did think the other day that sometimes I'll go down these kind of panic rabbit holes of worst case scenario, you know, of like, what happens if I get it? What happens if my husband gets it? What happens if we're both hospitalized and what happens to our son? And I start kind of getting in that like really kind of freaked out zone. Um, and I think sometimes like I, I do worry. I, I think I unnecessarily worry about the worst case of what happens if something, what if our son got sick, you know? And, and I, and I think that's kind of the one thing I can imagine that I'm not sure I could deal with it. I mean, I guess you just deal with what you have to, but I think sometimes um, in the grand scheme of things on a daily basis, I think that I am keeping this in perspective that this is not the worst thing that's ever happened. So, so far now that we're, we're well and we're fine, I feel fine and that I'm equipped to handle it. If something were to go wrong, I think it would trigger a whole avalanche of fears of really the worst thing you can imagine actually can happen. (laughs) And that's a horrible thing to check in with. But for the most part, I actually feel pretty steady. Just, I, I think trying to just stick to a daily routine of familiarity feels comfortable right now. That's good. You know, one of the things we were talking about with somebody else is that, you know, sometimes our experiences with loss and trauma and grief, you know, we we, we learn new resources and we learn new skills. And I wonder if there's anything you identify with that. You know, are there things that you learned along the way through your years of dealing with loss that are helping you now? I th- I think it's just kind of that that feeling of I'm trying to think of the right word to put it. Um, I'm going to come back to that. Okay, <laughs> I'm sure. Keep thinking about the right word for that. Of course, let's put a pin in it. But um, so another thing, Laura, that we've been kind of asking everyone is uh, if there's anything that's been happening during this time, this crisis, and you know, being in, and whether it's like a positive thing or a reaction to maybe a negative thing or whatever it may be. But is there something that's happening now that you hope that you can, that you're learning or experiencing, that you hope you can take with you into your, you know, quote unquote, normal life or new normal life after this? Yeah, I mean, I think that is actually probably the hardest thing about this. Other than, you know, if you can put the health aspect aside, like that's the worst thing you can imagine is actually getting really sick and something terrible happening to someone in your family. But assuming that you don't get sick and it's just we return to life after this virus ends and we're all thrown back into quote unquote normal life. It's not going to be that. And the landscape has changed so much. And I think 
that that's really what's so scary about and what feels so scary is the unknown. Like, what is this all going to look like when one day the government or whoever says you can go back to work, you can go back outside. Like, are we going to feel comfortable hugging each other? Is there a job to go back to? Will my husband and I own our own company? And of course we're really worried. Like, what is this? Is, are we going to make it through this or in, um, on a professional level, we've actually seen something really positive is that a lot of our competitors and we have come together and had a lot of online chats about how we're all handling this, how we're going to get loans and people are really helping each other out. Oh, so there's gosh. much more of a camaraderie that is, you know, I'll, we will see if that actually continues, but I mean, for the meantime, like, I, I think that that's a huge positive that I think there's going to be kind of more of a sense of community. I think, I mean, if anything, it's astounding to, to realize how small the world is and how connected we all are. And I do think there's going to be have to be this collective sense of moving forward together. And I, I can't imagine another time that the whole truly the whole universe has gone through some, something the same together at the yes. same time. And I think there'll be some positives and negatives to that. Like everyone will be kind of in a weakened state, but I'm, I'm hoping that people will learn to be more patient and that maybe we won't be in such a rush and maybe everyone doesn't need everything right away. Or maybe we don't always need to be on an airplane flying halfway across the world. Um, right. Of course we love the freedom of those things, but maybe we shouldn't necessarily have so much of, of what we've had. I think we've kind of, it's like we've been at a huge party and I think we're going to suffer a big hangover after this. <laughs> yeah. That's a way of putting it. It's true. You know, totally. I, I always say we can never really go backwards. It's not possible to, you know, what's happened has happened. And right. we are going right. to be cha- exactly. changed by this. Right. Right. It's yeah. like, you can't unring the bell, you know? Absolutely. Like and that's part of the grief. Cause we were talking about how this is globally, like it's a grief and how uh, globally we're except we're experiences experiencing this with the stages of grief and I think the that's a really difficult part right like um right is the, is the I think that kind of actually helps answer your question from before about you know how has my trauma informed this I don't I don't feel triggered in like a traumatic sort of way but it definitely has made me think about the stages of grief and how our communities and, and individually were going through, you know, I mean, and I totally was kind of textbook about it, about at first I was in denial and I'm like, whatever, this is all going to blow, blow over. They're making a bigger deal out of it. And then you realize like, oh no, like this is for real. This really is happening. We really do have to stay home and there's a good reason for staying home. And then like, and then there's little things that I even feel like, you know, even ashamed to like say that I, I feel like this is having a hard time, but you know, we had to cancel our big family spring break trip. And we were all like, our whole family was going to go on surf camp together with my stepdaughters and my stepdaughter's going to graduate next year. So we were kind of thinking like, oh, this is maybe the last time we're all going to go on a trip like this together. And I think it was just not sad, like, oh, we're missing a trip. It Disappointing. Was yeah. Well, you're just kind of missing out on memories. You realize like this isn't time you're going to get back. Like that's just going to pass. It's not going to right. happen. So you're not going to scroll back through your photos and see photos of what would have happened. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah, of course. It's just, it's just. So there are little losses like that that you're like, oh wow, this is time that we're not going to get back. 
but on the trying to flip it around to the positive is I think it is really character building, especially I think for kids that this is a big moment for especially teenage kids who maybe would have been taking the SAT or maybe would have been going on trips with their friends or graduating high school or college. And like, this is a real blip on the radar for them. And I think, you know, I think kind of that feeling of you can't get back lost time, that's really hard for people. Yeah, absolutely. That's the big one. You know, that's the acceptance part that I think is hard. Yeah, is that, that the world right. has changed. We won't get this time this back. Is it is. Yeah, right. it's hard, right? It's hard to like, there will be a new normal from now on. Like, I remember right. in my own, one of my own biggest experiences of trauma is when I was in my accident. And I remember right after the bus crashed, mm-hmm. Um, I remember it so vividly getting out and I'm like crawling up this hill and my hand was torn apart and bleeding and the whole fucking bus was on fire. And I remember just thinking like, okay, so we're going to get a new bus and we'll keep doing this. We'll just go tomorrow. Like that was right, my right. first thought was right, like, right. the tour has to go on because I, this is my fun time I'm having. And I was like, so, I mean, I was in complete shock obviously at the moment, but like it took me a while you know, I had to get out of the shock, then I had to get off the meds. And then finally, I was like, Oh, I'm not going, we're not, obviously, I'm not going back on tour, but something else will happen. And then, you know, it took a long time. And then something else happened. But I think we're all kind of going through that moment of shock, denial, and then like a little bit of outrage. And then we'll realize we have to move on in a different well, it's way. All, it's all the associated losses and disappointments. Right. And, and yeah. you, can, you can't handle them all at once. It takes, that's why we have denial. We have denial for a good reason. I call it the turtle principle. You know, because we can't handle all of it all at once. Totally. So it has to come in pieces. It's interesting. Right. I was I was having this thought the other day just to share something. I feel like all our guests have shared something really personal about their experience and I haven't really shared anything about mine. But um, I had this thought the other day because, you know, right at the beginning of this thing happening, I was maybe going to get back together with someone that I had been seeing for a year and it seemed like we we're going to kind of work it out. And then we didn't, you know, quarantine together and we've just been pulling away and it's not going to work out and that's that's fine but I started having this feeling of like oh my god like this is my time I'm 36 where like I need to be meeting someone if I ever want to have a kid and now I'm like this might just be me like having to accept that this time happened and it passed and it might just mean I never have a kid and like who knows I know people can have kids in their 40s and uh, of course but like that was my real fear and not that you know I've never been really hell-bent on having a kid or not having one but i I was just really facing You're like, that. Is this the turn in the road that's going to change things for me? Yeah. I was like, I bet there's going to be a whole crop of guys, though, after this that realize <laughs> they're kind of like slitting around doing whatever and thinking they've got all the time in the world. And you realize, like, yeah. shit just got real. I got to find totally. a woman to sit around with. Exactly. Know? Maybe it'll just be opposite and I'll be pregnant by this time next year. I'll be sitting here. We'll yeah, like, remember when I said I'd never get pregnant? Now I have like quadruplets. <laughs> this time next year, it's Zara's baby car. God forbid I ever had quadruplets. I really don't know. Well, it brings up how much we have to laugh. We have to keep laughing. It's really exactly. Oh my god! Exactly. Absolutely. I've been so I've been so happy about like all the cheesy memes that people have been ah, making. I have been me loving memes. Up. Loving them. God, I've you know? never been more thankful for my memes. My favorite one is my sister texted me the other night, and she's like. Be careful. I hear there's a DUI checkpoint at the corner of hallway and kitchen. <laughs> That's hilarious. I, my friend Nicole sent me one the other day that said, 
Maybe if I tell coronavirus that I have feelings for it, it will go away. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it will ghost me. It's <laughs> <laughs> very funny. Oh, God. Laura, it was so good to talk to you. You're an amazing I'm so woman. happy to talk to both of you. Oh, I wish God. we could all get together and have a glass of wine and a big plate of Zara's lasagna right now. <laughs> oh, that's what, you know, we, we before this all happened, we were planning um, a meet a season one meetup for all our guests, but we are definitely not like leaving that plan behind. It's just postponed. That is one thing that we will make sure we definitely do in the future. So we all have been saying to get together. You will, you will have a great turnout. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, we love you very much and stay safe and stay healthy. And thank you so much for joining us. You too. I'll talk to you soon. So good to hear your sweet voice. Take care, Laura. You too, Bobby. Bye. Bye. All right. So we are with Tracy Wilk. Tracy, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Um, we're doing okay. I think like, you know, as we've been kind of chatting with each of our, our guests that we're catching up with, I think as good as can be expected. And, um, you know, for me, what one thing that I've noticed is that I'll have a lot of days where I feel hopeful and then I'll go into a down day. And those down days don't necessarily align with everybody else's down day. So maybe like I'll talk to Bobby and she's having a better day. So she can offer me a little emotional support or I'll talk to one of my friends and they're, ha- they're not on a down day. So I feel That's like right. mm-hmm. in that way, you know, since we're not all on the same schedule of grief, it's been um, helpful to have, you know, different levels of support. Do you feel that way at all, Tracy? Definitely. I think that I have moments of totally just ups and downs and trying to work through those and not let myself get to a point where this is going to be forever because it's really easy to get into that mind frame. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's like thinking about the, how big the universe is. It's one of those things that can hurt your brain a little bit if you think about it. Right. That's right. You know, one of the things I've been sharing with my clients is that we have an opportunity to be more mindful and to be more aware of what's going on inside of us. So we can notice if we're starting to dip down too low. And I think it's really important to do something about it at that point, as best as you can, whether it's reaching out or um, some type of release or some type of meditation. But we, it's like we're all treading water out there and we have to keep our heads above the water. Right. And I think it's also really important to mention, like, it's okay to have bad days. And it's okay that you feel overwhelmed because this is a very overwhelming situation that no one has been through before. Right. Do you think that I was chatting with someone yesterday, um, actually I was on the HRN happy hour and they were asking me, um, you know, that now that we're experiencing kind of a global grief, like a lot of people aren't acutely like aware of even what grief feels like, you know what I mean? Like real grief. Right. And it got me to thinking and something I wanted to talk about with some of our guests who have experienced real grief, like yourself. Do you feel that having gone through the experience that you did with the loss of your father, um, do you feel like in any way either that it prepped you for this or also is it triggering feelings of past grief for you? I would say all of the above. I think that I'm handling this better than I would have before because I've gone through some, some such like dark, heavy, real problems 
that I realize that not being able to, for example, go to a concert, it could be devastating. I understand if it's your favorite artist or I understand if that's how you make income, but it's most likely not the end of the world. And then on the other side of that, it's really overwhelming because I find myself, for example, I am concerned more about my mom than I would have been if my dad was here. So there's like all these different mm-hmm. levels and yeah. layers to unpack. Many layers. And, and the other thing, I call it the well of grief. I think that all our losses fall into the same well. And right now that well is being stirred up incredibly. Right. Definitely. Yeah. So Tracy, um, I want to know a little bit about, I think we both do, I should say we, um, want to know a little bit about what, uh, what, how food is playing a role into what's going on now. You know, different people are having really different experiences with food. Um, and I think a lot of that, you know, can derive from how this experience has affected you financially or how it's affecting you emotionally. But I just want to know, and I know you're working on a really cool project that's related to food, which I want you to get into after, but just a little bit about like, how is your eating habits, your cooking habits? Are they positive? Are they negative? Like what's going on there? So what's been really cool for me, especially because my really my passion for the last two years has been culinary teaching is seeing that everybody wants to learn how to cook. So finally, I feel like everyone's on my level of (laughs) the interest of food. And that's been really, that's given me like a lot of comfort and joy. I would say I definitely am like, it's hard to eat at home by yourself. And it's hard to eat really like these nutrient dense or nutritious and like filling meals when you know, the world is collapsing outside of you. So there's, I think, a lot of layers that make it super complicated. But I'm also trying to, like, let myself, so to speak, live. And, you know, if a little bit of ice cream is going to bring you some comfort in that moment, I think today is that day. Right. I think that's great. I think giving yourself a break is a good idea, you know. And I think balance is a good idea. And I, yeah. Oh, what are you going to say about that, it? Well, I was just going to say the things that feed our soul. And yeah. sometimes right. really delicious ice cream at that moment feeds your soul. <laughs> you know? Right. And there's yeah. a lot of things that feed our soul. We have to look for that because we have right. to support Absolutely. our soul. I think that's right. Incredible. Like be a little kinder to yourself with this. Absolutely. You bet. Right. Because, you know, as we've been mentioning with uh, all our guests is that there is something that, you know, this is a time when we all need to try to figure out a way to give back to those who have less and that there, there needs to be, you have to fill the tank, right? So like whatever way you can find to fill your own tank, is that like rest? Is that the creativity and meditation that comes from cooking? Is that a little bit of ice cream? You know, whatever it is, we need to keep our tanks full so we can then give to other people. And I was really taken and inspired by what you're doing to give back right now to the community via cooking. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's been really one of the best things I've definitely done up here in New York, and I've been here for 10 years. So like many others, I was furloughed from my job because currently my my job cannot operate. So to me, it was not unexpected. It was just more of a reality hit, like, all right, it's happening. Like, this is really, COVID-19 has really hit New York City, and we have to deal with it. So I knew that if I just stayed at home all day unemployed, my mental and my physical health would take a really big toll. So I decided to bake cookies because that's really what I do when I'm bored or 
just in general, I just like bake cookies all the time. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I just genuinely posted on my Instagram being like, hey, guys, I'm going to bake some cookies. Do you guys want to follow along? Should I drop them off at NYU? Because I live right by there. And that's a local hospital that's been really heavy hit right now. And the response was insane. I got Ooh. so many comments on social media being like, oh, we would love some cookies. Like, please deliver here. Uh, send the recipe, all of that. And through social media, I have started a little bit of a campaign. I don't know what other word to call it. Uh-huh. Called Bake It Forward. And I've done about, I would say I have like 30 deliveries now scheduled throughout the month. And I've raised over $3,000 to help me pay for ingredients. All right. Excellent, yeah, Tracy. Awesome, Tracy. That is so that's been really cool. Good. It's so good. I love it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I did I a friend of mine um asked me to bake some lasagnas and she ordered lasagnas for me to send up to New York Presbyterian last week. And getting those photos back of seeing the healthcare workers enjoying some like home cooked food is incredible. And Absolutely. It's so important and it's just it's just such a very clear representation of how a nice gesture goes such a long way. And furthermore, just like, you know, these, these folks who are working in hospitals last right now, they're not going home and eating home cooked meals. Like let's right. They're working. If they're even the able to go home. If they're even like, able to I go home. I think of the people that, you know, maybe they have a partner that's um, for all they know, going through some different health treatment and they can't stay with them. Where they can't see their kids. And that to me is just one of the many, many difficult layers of this pandemic. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And so to do to do something that just gives people a treat. You know, I think like we can't overlook the importance of a treat. Like a treat is could not agree more. So it's just a little something and during these like hard times. Yeah. It's a smile. It's a hug, it's a handshake, it's like you know, the handshake we can't give. The handshake <laughs> we can't give is coming in the form of a cookie. But yeah, That's like great. Think, during during times of hardship, I think we don't realize that like the like it's little gestures that actually help get people through the day, and it, it gives you that little bit. It's like a adrenaline boost or something. And yeah, totally. you know what it reminds me of when you sorry if you remember we used to do this whenever you try to climb a hill if somebody gets tired if you put your finger right at the bottom of their spine. Yep. It's unbelievable power, a burst of energy that helps them get up the hill. Absolutely. And it feels like your cookies are doing that there. Yep. Helping the hand on the small of the climb, back. Yeah, climb the hill. Yep. Absolutely. Like I dropped off the other day um, to my local fire department, and I live right um, off the Midtown Tunnel. And I always hear ambulances because I live on a really busy street. But I have heard so many more in the last two weeks. So you could just mm-hmm. almost hear and feel the fire department working overtime and I dropped them off and I so I like rang the doorbell and I think the guy was very confused why this like five foot one girl was like outside like SOS help (laughs) and I was like hey I'm just dropping off some cookies and gave him the little spiel and that look of gratitude it was exactly like you're saying Bobby it pushed me up the hill and I was like all right we can do it again tomorrow and I'm not saving lives. Like I do not want any of that kind of credit, but I am making people a little bit happier in a really dark and sad time. That's, That's wonderful. That's great, Tracy. And can you um, tell us like the name of, like just give us information on how people can get involved with this and donate money and et cetera. So I have a website. It's uh, cheftracywilk.com. And I have a tab on the website 
That's hashtag bake it forward, which is the name of this little movement. And there's information there on kind of how it started as well as a few recipes. And I hope to keep adding to that. And they're really easy recipes. As a pastry chef, I work usually in grams and I'm making these layers of items. And that is not what this is about. I have sprinkle cookies on there, Oreo Rice Krispies. These are about comfort and joy, not technically pastry-based technique. So they're great to make with your kids or your family. And then I love if people can bake it forward for their community, no matter where you live. And I just ask that people do it while social distancing. I've been finding local nurses or doctors through social media, and I have them meet me outside so I don't go into the hospital. So I'm making sure to be really careful. Um, And that's been something I've been kind of, I want to make sure that if you want to get involved, that you are also taking care of yourself and your community. Right. And on my Instagram, there's more information and all the donations have been done through Venmo, which my name is Tracy dash Wilk. And all of these funds, I'm hoping to only spend about less than half is my goal because I would like to make a large donation to city harvest, which is New York city's food bank. Amazing. This is really, this is really important work. And, you know, even if you're listening and you feel like you can't get involved because you don't have the funds or you don't know how to get involved or you're not a cook. Like, I think it's just all of this talk and everyone we've talked to is talking about different kinds of ways to be philanthropic and charitable. And I think if you can't get involved in this way, you know, don't discredit the value of a treat and a treat isn't necessarily a cookie. It can also be a smile. Absolutely. Um, Thank you card. Yeah. Or just a note. Exactly. A a kind text to someone checking up on like a neighbor to see if maybe you can do some shopping for them. Like whatever it is, there's, there's small gestures and large gestures and you just have to find one that fits for you. Exactly. Everyone has a skill to bring to the world. And that's why I decided to bake because that's one thing I can do. So I can't save lives, but I can make cookies. Yeah. So Tracy, I, I heard you say in the beginning that it's hard for you to cook a meal for yourself, like a nice meal for yourself. Is that true? It's definitely true. It's something I struggle with. <laughs> okay, Sarah. So can you help Tracy with that a little bit? Because I know that you you know how yeah. to do that. Yeah, you know, like I I also struggle with that, and I think that people have this conception that chefs or perception, I should say, that chefs, um, you know, come home and they have this like refrigerator full of every beautiful ingredient, and we cook right. ourselves a nice meal, and that's really off, very often not true. And I think it has to do with a variety of things, but one is you know being tired of cooking when you're cooking for other people. And one is about, you know, your output, and your creative energy, you're used to it going outward to other people. And so it's a big shift to like bring it inward and you don't have to, but it is, it's like a practice, right? Like for me, right. like I'm someone who like never has food in my fridge ever. Um, I don't ever cook for myself ever, like ever, ever. And I've been making myself nice meals every night and I feel very, very privileged and lucky to be able to have the means in which to do that in this time. Um, but it's a practice and it's like, okay, right. I'm going to choose to do this for myself today and let's see how it goes. And that's kind of how I started the first time. And then I was like, Hey, this is actually going well. I feel nice about this. And then I Good. added in, you know, music to it. And I was like, Oh, cool. You know, <laughs> if I put on Emmy Lou Harris while I do this, I feel even better. <laughs> so just, you know, if you, if it was something you're interested in, it's just kind of like any other thing, practicing a new habit. I right, love that absolutely. you say it's a practice. I love that. And it reminds me of the guest we had, my friend, our friend, Kathy Fodley, who was one of our guests. And she told us a story about how 
years and years ago, she would set the table for herself and she would, and still to this day, she makes the most beautiful meals, such self-care. And I think it's, that's really what it is. It's about self-care and in order to give, you have to take care of yourself. Absolutely. Could not agree more. Casey, I have a question. So yesterday somebody asked me this question and I kind of want to ask as many of our guests as I can what their answer is. Um, What habit or what thing that has happened onto you or that you've started doing or what something that's a result of this crisis do you want to take with you after it's over the power of kindness amen yay good one (laughs) yeah that's a really good one um tracy it was amazing to chat with you and your episode uh, when this episode is going to be aired, your episode has going to have aired last week. And we hope that everybody tunes in to listen to that because it was such a, every episode, every interview is so unique and different. And I mean, I just really enjoyed yours. You felt instantly like a old friend or like a family member. You know, you just, I agree. I could see yeah. us all having a gl- couple glasses of wine together once we can, you know, meet in person again. Oh, well, which, which reminds me, I've been telling people that it's really important to visualize, you know, an outcome where we can feel some kind of peace and, and good inside again. It doesn't hurt to have a positive. We have so many negative thoughts in our head. So one positive image, that's great. The three of us sitting down with a couple of glasses of wine, not just one. It'll have to be no, a couple. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Especially after this. Maybe some yes, champagne. Exactly. deserve it. That's right. Tracy, it was awesome to talk to you. Thank you so much for everything you're doing for the community. And it's really inspiring and it's amazing to catch up with you. Thank you. Everyone stay healthy and safe. Thank you. You too, Tracy. Tracy. Have a good day. Good luck. Take away. Bye. Bye. As the news of coronavirus reverberates throughout the world, we at HRN are especially concerned about how coronavirus will impact our food system. We will use our platform to support the restaurant, agriculture, hospitality, and other food-related industries by maintaining our coverage and operations. As social distancing becomes the temporary norm, podcasts are more important than ever. There's never been a more crucial time to stay informed about the state of our food system and the way that food connects our global community. We're sharing all of our COVID-19 coverage at heritageradionetwork.org slash COVID-19. From interviews with nonprofit leaders and journalists, to firsthand accounts from chefs and restaurant owners, to reports on how the crisis is affecting regional farms. Our team is working remotely from all over to keep food radio alive. HRN needs your support more than ever to keep sharing essential stories and resources with our listeners. Make a donation of any amount. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. So we are with Lisa Kolb-Roland. Lisa, hello. It's so good to hear your voice. You too. Hi. Hi. You're joining us from DC? Yeah. What's, What's the temp like there? What's going on? Um, it's pretty stressful. Um, but I think stressful, of course, for everyone, what I've noticed a lot is kind of the eerie silence descending on life, I think, which is especially noticeable when you normally live in a bustling city. Mm -hmm. And of course, being so close to, you know, kind of the seat of federal government, I am 
I live not terribly far from the vice president's residence at the Naval Observatory. Oh, look at you. Yeah. <laughs> so I know, right? Awesome. <laughs> it's like, cool. That's neighbor ever. So it's just weird because we have a lot of like naval hel- or military helicopters flying around all the time and more than usual. So there's that aspect. And, but, you know, we're living in a time too, I think like everyone getting used to the surreal realness of, you know, social distancing lines at supermarkets and masks. And it's like, you're doing some normal things in a totally different way. And I have to say, this does feel to me like a giant collective grieving process. It is. That's exactly right. Grief is thick in the air. Oh, yeah. Bobby, can you remind our listeners um, what the stages of grief are? Well, you know, the stages of grief, as um, denoted by Elizabeth Kugler-Ross in the 1970s, were, you know, the first stage being um, denial. And I think we can all relate to, we all had pieces of denial, still do. You know, there's a denial of how really serious this can become. Um, You know, the next stage is bargaining, where, um, you know, you, you say, well, if I just do this, then maybe that'll happen. Or if, if maybe I could try that, then the other thing won't work. And so, you know, there's a certain amount of bargaining. We notice that in the beginning when we first have to let go of things, you know, it's, um, mm. it's particularly noticeable then. Grief is about accepting a reality. So we're having a hard time with that. So, of course, first there's denial and then there's bargaining and then there's anger. And I'm sure, you know, we all feel that at different times during the day, that's for sure. And it's not necessarily anger at anything, although it can come out of that. You know, sometimes the collective frustration and um, despair can come out in our families, and we certainly don't want that to happen. Um, and then there's the grief, you know, the sadness that, you know, I was just telling somebody before that every morning I open my eyes and I just weep. I just feel this collective. It's not anything particular personal to me. It's not even necessarily the stories that I hear every day. It's just what's what's happening. It's just so sad in our world. It's so sad. Our world has changed, you know. And then the next stage after sadness is acceptance. And, you know, acceptance doesn't mean that we accept it and like it. It just means that we accept the reality. Yeah. Lisa, how do you feel as a survivor of uh, loss and, and grief? Um with the loss of your husband, Eric, um, how do you feel that that experience has prepared you for this experience and, uh, or is triggering you during this experience? Well, I think that is such an insightful and smart question because I think that, uh, first of all, this has opened my eyes to the different kinds of grief that exist. And, you know, I think the easy definition is, when someone dies, you grieve. But this has really opened my eyes to grieving losses that I never really even thought about. Grieving the loss of a normal grocery shop. Who knew that's something you can feel grief for? Turns out it is. And I think there's all these things. Grandparents who can't hug their grandchildren. Just so many things. And I think as we're dealing with all of these different forms of grief, up to and including, of course, literal death of people because of this, I have really kind of instinctively been calling on some of the tools that helped me with my grief before. They work kind of the exact same way because it is great. 
that's such a good point, Lisa. And that's what I'm hearing all week long with my clients who have had losses and traumatic losses that, um, it is, you know, dipping into that well of their own previous losses. And, but it's also dipping into their resources, the things that they learned to survive before. And, um, and the, the attitude and the view of it, because they got through it before, you know, you went through the worst and somehow, you know, climbed that mountain and came over the other side. And so, you know, that things are survivable, you know, and so I think that helps too. Am I right? Absolutely. And one thing I think is that I recognize the feeling earlier on than I think a lot of other people did just because. Grief is, is, it feels like grief and it's its own unique, uh, of course, I I encompass all the other emotions that make grief, but it's a feeling for sure. And uh, I think going through it has, to some extent, given me, I hate to say resilience because I have really bad days. I was crying last night in bed, just feeling sad. And I don't think that resilience means not crying. It means almost letting yourself feel it, letting yourself cry because it's hard and sad. I think that's a really good point though that you just made Lisa, which is that resilience doesn't mean like, it's not the polar opposite of, of weakness. You know what I mean? Quote unquote weakness. I think that, yeah, true Resilience is about embracing all the sides of how you feel about something in a real way and being able to like sit with this uncomfortable feeling and still like live. It's about survivability. Resilience is about survivability. And one of the best uh, visual examples of that is if you go to California and you see the, um, I'm trying to remember the name of that tree, the, the trees that the cypress and they are changed. They bend in the wind. They really change their shape but they're still standing there after all those winds come at mm. them. So we are changed, but we are, we survive spiritually and psychically. Right. right. Um, Lisa, what are some, how is food playing in this for you? Like, is it, you know, in any capacity, is, is it the things that you can eat that you can't eat that you're making for others? I mean, really there's no right answer. Just like what role is food playing for you in your life right now? It's playing actor, supporting actor, (laughs) all kind. And in so many ways too, like, well, first of all, even as someone who has a culinary degree, even I am cooking way more than I normally do. So there's a step up in that way. Um, Another way I'm feeling it is, um, you know, as a contributor for Eater, the beat for Eater is primarily covering restaurants and what's happening in news and goings on in the restaurant scene. And that is just done a 180. Right. And, you know, my editor sent out, you know, email, you know, we're switching only to Corona coverage. And it, there, there was a grief in that and just all that's going on. And one other thing, well, I would say two other ways that really are striking me that I, uh, food is affected in this process is one um, I'm involved with the volunteering with the Washington ballet. And there's a lot of artists right now who have been furloughed and laid off and aren't receiving a lot of financial benefits. And the it's to the point, the Washington ballet um, women's committee has actually started a food pantry for dancers to get food to eat. Um, so there's that also, and I've been trying to do my part, um, just 
helping people. It was a friend of the family's daughter's 18th birthday last weekend. And I was able to make her a super happy looking sprinkle cake and get a birthday cake to her. And I've done some things like that, you know, deliver soup to a good friend who is COVID positive and um, working her way through the illness. And I think for anyone who's ever been in the hospitality industry and so many more people in general, um, being able to give food is so meaningful and so powerful. It's, it's really, it's, it is really huge. Um, Laura, you've been doing such beautiful work on that, you know, I've been trying, you know, I mean, I, I know how to like, basically anytime there's a crisis, I jump into lasagna mode. (laughs) (laughs) Catering with lasagna is something I do always. I mean, people are constantly ordering lasagnas for me, but um, I use lasagna as a tool in treating uh, a crisis, in a crisis, whatever that may be, whether it's raising money for Planned Parenthood or for, you know, people who are being detained or whatever, there's some reason to, to raise money. I always do with lasagna and I've been trying to do it in this crisis. Yeah, Zara, we're definitely at DEFCON lasagna. Yes, that's okay. <laughs> we are definitely at DEFCON lasagna. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so I was just, uh, we were chatting about this with our the person before you, Tracy Wilk, um, about something she's doing. She's started this amazing thing about baking for baking cookies for um, healthcare workers. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to circle around the same idea and had done some stuff last week with sending some lasagnas. So yeah, I think like, I think we're all trying to find where we can fit in with uh, being helpful right now. And that's a pretty beautiful thing. I think there's some really incredible, somebody asked me the other day because I was having a dark moment where I was feeling very sad and uh, they're like, well, is there anything that you feel like is positive from this? And I was like a ton of things, you know, I think that like, to see how much of a desire so many people have to be humanitarian and giving and thoughtful is really great, you know, and I, I hope that's something that we um, keep with us even when things start to begin to return back to normal. Well, we got to keep our spirits up and we got to keep our spirits connected. Right. And the, the concept of synergy when, you know, a few spirits or many spirits join together, it's much greater than one plus one equals two. So. Absolutely. But in the vein of this, of like, you know, A, trying to help people who are grieving and be there and be understanding. Um, And B, the other, you know, thing that's happening right now is being, it being illuminated, uh, the different, you know, the disparity in class and uh, that we have in this country. And I think that like, it's important to remember that this, these things existed well before this crisis, and now they're being highlighted. And I hope that we now have all been uh it's been made aware to us that we can continue to remember how important it is to help people who need it in a variety of different ways yeah i've been telling people it's the temperature got turned up a thousand degrees so whatever existed before is accentuated by by so much yeah Um, can i go back something that you said before lisa yeah Um, you were talking about the compounded losses you know primarily it's the loss of control and predictability when yeah. you think about it, I mean, the, what's predictable in our life, like the supermarket, it's just everything that we thought was predictable is kind of different for most people. So I think that's the the main kind of uh, losses that we have, right? Yes, 
Absolutely. It's that fishbowl effect. You know how sometimes, um, you know, when someone dies immediately after you look around and you're thinking, how are people still doing normal things? Don't they know? And I've been thinking that about how is the sun shining? Doesn't it know? Like spring is happening and it just seems like this odd dichotomy of, oh, the flowers are blooming, but also this. Mm. And I think there is a lot of strength in numbers, both in our collective capacity to help lift others up in our own way that we can. And I also think there is strength in numbers in sharing our feelings about it. I think a lot of people suffer in silence or feel like their sadness, their grief isn't as good as or as worth noting as someone else who may be, oh, but at least, you know, I'm not on a ventilator, but I think true, but I, I, I worry that people are discounting the validity of their own feelings. And I think in sharing those, there is such strength and commiseration about having those acknowledged. And I think we need to do that as well. Totally. I think that's important all the time because a lot of times I find myself doing it and in therapy, my therapist will say to me, like, you don't need to make an excuse for your your feelings. You know what I mean? Like, I think that perspective is huge, right? If understanding your privilege and your place in the world and the things you have and counting your blessings is huge, but you know, yes. And right. So like, also it is okay to be a human being with feelings, right? Like once you've established the fact that you understand what you're, what you're lucky for, we all have feelings of sadness and darkness. And I think exactly to your point, like, pushing them away or comparing them well they're not real because they're not as bad like that's not necessarily useful you know and this is a time where we can lonely you're right i mean loneliness feels like shared grieving experience feels like the ways in which no matter commonality what Um, content you're feeling right, right and you know yes and and then if you are someone who is in any kind of you know, luckier than someone else position, go ahead and take that and use it for good. But that doesn't mean you can't feel what's happening and that it can't be useful to you in some way. Cause if you just push it aside and pretend that it's and just, you know, be like, my feeling isn't as important because I'm not on a ventilator, then uh, you're not necessarily able to then use your feelings, your real feelings for good. Right. So like if, if you're having a real feeling, Oh God, it's hard being at home. And, I'm having these issues with my family or like, Ooh, I'm alone. And I feel like really dark thoughts about loneliness and fear about the future. You know, there's value in those dark feelings and they can help your life and other people's life in the future. If we actually confront them and accept them. Yes. I think the two can coexist. We can have perspective and empathy for others in a less fortunate situation while also acknowledging we have feelings too. Agreed. I think that's perfect. And Lisa, I just wanted to ask you, um, you know, one more question. When you said before that you feel like some of the aspects uh, that you learned in your grieving process when your husband died, what are some of those things, those resources, the internal resources that you learned that might help other people a little bit? What are things that, um, you know, made sense to you that might help others now? Yeah, Um, there's a couple things we already covered, um, not minimizing your feelings by comparing them to others. Definitely Mm -hmm. one, Um, seeking out social support to find strength in numbers, Um, you know, just not expecting people to automatically check in on you 
in, because they have some cosmic understanding that you're having a bad day. If you're having a bad day and you're struggling, speak up about it because other people are too. And there is that strength in sharing those feelings. Um, I think it's a, uh, one thing that's important is it's okay to smile in a dark time. Mm-hmm. I think giving yourself permission to laugh because I, I love that it releases tension and I think you should feel grateful for the funny moments and not guilty about them. Um, and I, and I think we also talked a little bit about learning to adapt and try to find acceptance. I think all of us are going to reach a point if we have not already. And I think this could be a multiple thing. I think each of us is going to reach our own personal point where we feel like I just can't do this anymore. I'm at the end of my wits. Mm-hmm. And like in grief, um, you yeah. know what? You just have to keep doing it anyway. Exactly. And I think just the way that you can get through that is just by trying to work on that acceptance. And um, one other thing is to just hold fast to the belief that life will be okay again. And that's cold comfort in a dark time, but yeah. just keeping that faith. It won't always hurt this much. It won't always be like this. It keeps Keep changing. Going. Such wonderful advice, you know, because I know with your loss, it was a sudden loss and it was traumatic. So it's very, yeah. it is very similar to what's happening now. It's not just a loss that's expected, but it's a trauma, sudden, overwhelming, more than we can handle. Yeah. And, and so I think you're, there was no anticipatory grief for this because who has been through this before? No one. Yeah, exactly. Well, I don't know. So it's just wise, a- wise words from a wise woman. Thank you so much. <laughs> Absolutely. But it's helpful. And I think like, you know, the reason we really wanted to do this catch up episode, aside from the fact that we want to catch up with all these wonderful people that we, we loved talking to and care about um, is that I think that during this time, you know, we all need to, learn and take from each other what we can and people who have survived grief um and who live with grief as part of their lives like are people we can look to right now for answers exactly like the ones you're giving in terms of like well how do I do this you know I I haven't experienced grief before or I have experienced grief before but I'm really like struggling with it so I think it's just so useful a mentor to be exactly for people to be like a guide through this to others and I hope that um and I really do feel that people listening to this um, can really get a lot out of what our guests and, and you are saying. Yeah. Well, I really do think this, you know, is just like a special thing. And again, it's us about being able to use our experience for good. And I think yeah. that you doing this is just incredible. And, you know, thank you for doing it. Thank you for oh. having me. Um, Thanks for being part of our family. We love you. Oh, yeah. I love you too. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. I'm, so- I'm, still, I'm still planning on a some big processing family meal at some point all together. Oh I can't wait. That's like one thing we've been saying to everybody and definitely keeping some hope and, and yeah. visions of good things for the future. But yeah, after this is over, this is something Bobby and I had been planning to wrap, you know, season one of processing that we're going to have a big get together with all our guests. So that is definitely something on the agenda for as soon as we are all once allowed to be together again. Right. And not a zoom, not a zoom meal. We want a real food. Yeah. Our hands, sharing food. (laughs) Yes. I have one question. 
um, that we're trying to ask everybody. And, you know, in a way you kind of covered this, but um, if, you know, what's one lesson you, that you're just coming around to now that you're taking out of this experience more specifically than, you know, past trauma um, that you want to take with you into your life after this? Um, That's such a good question. I think what I am learning is that the, there are two wars being waged right now. And it's, equally important to pay attention to both. There's the physical war, if you will, of preventing yourself from getting sick, being healthy, taking good care, taking physical care of others. And this is also a huge emotional game, keeping your mental health as good as possible, finding ways of doing that, um, reaching out to people, taking the walk, finding, you know, meditating, whatever is right for you. This is also an emotional and mental health war, I think. And it's important to pay equal attention to both. And a lot of times people do not pay as much attention to their, I think, emotional well-being. So acknowledging that. and So well said. Wonderfully said. Amazing. Thank you so much, Lisa. It was so good to talk to you and to catch up. And um, everybody, please check out Unpeeled Journal. Uh, It's unpeeledjournal.com, correct? Yes, it is. Okay, great. Awesome. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you. Great to talk with you. Stay safe. Okay, bye. 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 Thank you so much for joining us for Processing. We realize that sharing these types of deeply intimate stories on air is a very personal decision. We began this project as a way to connect our listeners through shared experiences and storytelling. We hope that Processing can be a platform for sharing, learning, and healing. We appreciate our guests' willingness to be vulnerable and value nothing more than making both our guests' and listeners' experiences with our show positive and progressive. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or writing in a listener letter, please email processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Please follow us at processing underscore podcast on Instagram. Processing is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage radio network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community. Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.